Good morning, church. If you would, pray with me as we get started this morning. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And Father, we are so thankful for you. Father, we are thankful for the life that you've given to us. Father, who are we to worship you? Father, we are so grateful, Father, that you are mindful of us. Father, that you love us. God, that you make life worth living. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your plan of redemption that has worked through the ages. Father, we thank you. And God, we're gathered here this morning because of your promises made to us. Father God, we stand here today and we believe every word that is written in your word, Father. God, we believe in your promises. God, we believe in the Holy Scripture. Lord, we believe in the resurrection. Lord, we believe in your promises made to us. And Father, as we worship you today, Lord, in song and prayer and in the preaching of your word, God, I pray that you would be honored and exalted and glorified today. Father, I do ask you to make up for my inadequacies, Lord, as you sit in heaven. God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Lord, I pray that my weaknesses would not prevent, Lord, your people from being fed this morning. Father God, I pray that you speak to us today through your holy and errant word, Father God, we pray. And Father, I need you now more than I ever have. Lord, I cannot stand, I cannot speak without you. Lord, I need you. Father, I pray that you bless this time. Lord God, protect our hearts, guard our minds, and let us learn from you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you of these things today. Amen. Church, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 37 this morning. Genesis chapter 37 is be of the text that we're going to look at today, and we're going to look at this whole chapter. Now, this is 36 verses, but I can assure you uh, we're going to try to move through this as quickly as possible. Um, today is um, a day in the student pastor world that we call Student Pastor Sunday. And the reason why I say this is because I had a student pastor friend of mine in South Alabama this past week, and he reached out to me and he said, you know, uh, he's seen online where there were a bunch of... Uh, student pastors talking in this group page on Facebook and they were all talking about how on this day every year it seems like the senior pastors go on vacation and everywhere across our country today there are student pastors fearfully standing behind the pulpits in America just trying to make it through the next 30 minutes and so I'm, I'm very thankful to be a part of that group today and thankful for the privilege to teach in the assembly as always. This morning, as we're looking at Genesis chapter 37, I want to look at uh, what I've called this morning, the title of the message is the, the Echoes of Envy. The Echoes of Envy. And when we look through the story of Joseph, his introduction into the meta-narrative of Scripture, what we find is that envy surrounded Joseph. And when we look through this chapter, what I want to show you is the dangers of envy in your life and in my life and what the dangers of envy can do to us as a church. And so the title of this message today is The Echoes of Envy. Now, envy has been a problem. It has been a sin that has plagued mankind from the very beginning. Even from the foundations of creation, we see the enemy, Satan, envious 
of what only belonged to God, true worship. We see Cain envious of Abel. We see the envy there with Jacob and Esau. We see envy with the prophets throughout the Old Testament and the nation of Israel rebelling against them. We see envy all through the ministry of Christ with the Pharisees and Sadducees envious of Christ. Throughout church history, we see schisms and divisions because of envy. Relationships and families, marriages have been severed throughout the history of mankind because of envy. And so today I want to look at what I call the echoes of envy in the story of Joseph. Now, this past week, I come across a trailer for a movie titled Civil War. And this is a new movie coming out in the spring. And I'm not big on going to the movies. I used to be when I was spending my daddy's money. I used to love to go to the movies, take, you know, go on dates to the movie theaters and things like that. But nowadays, it seems like there's not a lot of movies that are captivating my attention. They're either too vulgar or they're just, they don't have a good storyline. And it takes, one, it takes a really good movie to really captivate my attention. And this, this trailer that I seen the other day, it captivated my attention. The movie was titled Civil War, and it's about a modern-day civil war breaking out in our country. It's coming out next spring. I'm not advocating for this movie. I don't know anything about it other than the trailer, but it was intriguing nonetheless. And the more I got to thinking about it, I said, I don't know if that's a good idea with the state that our country's in right now to release a movie like that on an election year, but it is what it is. The movie looked interesting. And as I was looking and watching the trailer, it made me think about division, obviously. And that made me think about the, 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 the problems that we're gonna see in Genesis chapter 37. It made me think, what causes division? What, what is one of the main things that causes division? In our relationships, in our marriages, in the church, throughout history, what is one of the main causes of division and envy. Envy has plagued us from the beginning and so I want to look at this in the life of Joseph, how envy caused division in the family. Envy attacked the plan of God in Joseph's life and, and, and how envy, if it's left unchecked, will ruin and take hold of our lives. So look with me here in Genesis chapter 37. Now Joseph dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now the story here begins in chapter 37. Joseph is introduced into the meta-narrative of scripture. And verse one tells us that now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. 
Now we know that God worked through the prophet Abraham, the, the, the father of the faith. God come to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and he made Abraham a promise. He promised Abraham that through his descendants, all of the world will be blessed. God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant. And from that moment, God has worked throughout history to bring redemption and salvation into the world, ultimately culminating in the life of Jesus Christ. And through Genesis, we see God working through Abraham, and then we see God working through his son Isaac, and then we see God working through Jacob, and now in chapter 37, the story shifts to Jacob's son, Joseph. So Jacob is in the land of Canaan that was promised to them by God, and they are awaiting for God to cash in the promises that he has made to them. So chapter 36 tells us, or Isaac has just died, right? Jacob and Esau's daddy. Isaac is dead. And then chapter 36 tells us the history of Esau. Chapter 36 gives us the descendants of Esau. But then in chapter 37 and through the rest of the narrative of Scripture, we see the history of Jacob. We see the lineage of Jacob unfolding because God promised to bring salvation through the descendants of Israel, the descendants of Jacob. And so the story begins here in verse 2. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. So the story begins, Joseph is out in the field with four of his brothers, and they're feeding the flock, right? And the Bible tells us that as Joseph is out there, apparently something was going wrong. His brothers were doing something, obviously, that they should not have been doing, they weren't tending the flock properly or something was happening so much so that Joseph wound up taking that report back to his daddy. One thing I want to point out here is this. Notice what the text says in verse 2. Joseph was 17 years old. He was 17 years old when his ministry for the Lord began. He was a 17-year-old teenager. There's boys in this room right now that are 17 years old. 17. Joseph didn't have a Ph.D., he didn't have a master's degree. He wasn't the most reputable man. He was the youngest in his family, the second youngest. And yet his ministry for the Lord began when he was 17 years old. Now, I think there's, that's an important point there I wanted to make note of. But nevertheless, Jodis is, Jodis, Joseph is in the field with his brothers, and this bad report, he, he takes it to his daddy. And the question is this, why is Joseph the one taking the bad report to his daddy. Now we might think Joseph's being a good little brother and he's telling on his siblings, right? But to understand why it was Joseph who brought this bad report, we need to look at verses three and four. Look with me at the text. Now Israel, and that is Jacob, Jacob, Israel or Jacob is the same person. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. So what does this tell us? Did Jacob just arbitrarily choose to love Joseph more than his, other, than his other children? I think not. The text says here that, that Joseph was the son of Jacob's old age. Remember, Jacob worked a long time to marry Rachel. He had to work for Laban. And see, Rachel was the woman that Jacob truly loved. And so he had favoritism towards Rachel beyond that of the other women that he married. 
And so when Rachel birthed Joseph, you could assume that some level of favoritism was shown to Joseph, being that he was the one born to the woman that Jacob truly loved. He was born in his old age. And so the text says that Jacob loved Joseph, but also the text says that Jacob gave Joseph a tunic of many colors. Now the Hebrew here actually reveals that this tunic represented authority. See, Joseph was given the tunic, the cloak of authority, right? The, the Hebrew here reveals that this, this tunic went to the wrist and to the ankles, and these types of tunics were worn by those who didn't work. And so this signifies that Joseph was given authority uh, by his father over his father's flock and herd and possessions. He was the heir. And so the question is, why? Well, we, when we look through the rest of Genesis, what we find is that Joseph is depicted as a blameless character. All the way through the story of Joseph, we see that Joseph was faithful to the Lord. He was obedient to the Lord. And if you look back a few chapters, what you find is that Joseph's brothers, they did some pretty bad stuff. His older brother Reuben uh, fornicated with one of uh, his father's servants. So you can scratch him off the list. Then some of um, Joseph's other brothers, they went into a city and murdered all the men in that city while they, were while, while they were recovering from injury. So it's safe to say that Joseph didn't really have a lot of uh, competition for this spot of manager over his daddy's household. And so that explains why Jacob gave Joseph this responsibility over the flock. And so when we see Joseph out here taking this bad report to his daddy, he's not being a tattletale, he's doing what his daddy asked him to do. He's being obedient, doing exactly what he was called to do and so he brings this bad report back to Jacob but notice what happens in verse 4 the text says but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him the text says they hated Joseph his brothers hated him so much so that they could not even speak peaceably to him now the question is, why did Joseph's brothers hate Joseph? Look with me here in verse four. The text says they hated him. Look with me in verse five. The text says they hated him. Look with me in verse eight. The text says they hated him. Then look with me at verse 11. The Bible says they envied him. Your translation may say they were jealous of him. See, the hatred that Joseph's brothers had towards him, it was derived from a seed of envy. See, they were envious of Joseph so much so that it led them to hate Joseph. Not just hate him, but notice how it affected their relationship with Joseph. The Bible says they couldn't even speak peaceably with Joseph. Do you know that envy will affect your relationship with the people around you? Envy affects the way that we treat one another. If, you are, if we have envy within our heart, it will affect the way that we speak to one another. Some of you may can sympathize with that. I know that I can. The times that I've harbored envy and bitterness in my heart, it affects the way that I talk to that person. Half the time, I'll just dodge them. I try to not even go around them. And what I want to point out to you here from the text this morning is the first echo of envy. Envy affects relationships. Envy affects relationships. And throughout the rest of this chapter, we're going to see, we're going to hear almost the echoes of envy as we move through 
the rest of this text. Envy will sever relationships. And I want to I point this out too. What was it that initially caused the envy in their hearts? Well, the Bible says that when they saw the way, when they saw the way their daddy loved Joseph, it caused them to envy Joseph. See, their perception of what was, what was happening, it, it, it affected the way that they responded. And see, that's the thing. Oftentimes, envy begins with a false perception. See, reality isn't always the way that we perceive it. And that's the thing with Joseph's brothers. They're looking at that, this situation here, and, and, and they never even stopped to wonder why it was that Jacob was showing this level of honor and respect to Joseph. They immediately jumped to conclusions, and that's the thing about envy I want to warn us about this morning. Most of the time, it'll begin with a false perception. We'll see something and we'll jump to a conclusion without even actually really considering the truth behind the matter. And so it was their perception that led to the envy. Look with me now in verse five. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheave arose and also stood upright. And indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheave. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him, notice this, even more for his dreams and for his words. So here in verse five, God begins to speak to Joseph. God begins to speak to Joseph through these divine dreams where he was foreshadowing to Joseph what was coming in the near future. See, Joseph doesn't necessarily understand the meaning of this dream, but he senses a God-given responsibility to make it known to his family. And so he, he begins to explain this dream to his brothers. He said, we was out there working the crop, we was out there working these sheaves, and all of a sudden, my sheaves stood up and y'all's bowed down to mine. That's just what I seen. And he, he, and he told that to his brothers. But notice what the text says, that they hated him even more for his dreams. Now, in the ancient Near East, these dreams were considered to be irreversible. Even outside of the biblical context, when you look at other ancient Near Eastern religions, what you see is that they took dreams very seriously. And Joseph's brothers would have been well aware of what their daddy had seen and their granddaddy and their great-granddaddy. So when, when Joseph comes talking about this divine dream, his brothers recognize this dream's from, from God. But see, the text says they hated him even more for the dreams. See, their envy even put them at odds with the plan of God. And that's the thing with us too, even here this morning, envy, if we're not careful, will set us at odds with the plan of God. See, God maybe God is working here in this church, but the enemy might plant a seed of envy in your heart to turn you against another person. And next thing you know, you're standing in opposition to the plan of God. And that's a place you don't want to be in because that's a battle you and I will lose every time. And so we see their envy put them against the very divine revelation of God. Verse nine, the text says, then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. Just a double confirmation. He says, in this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. 
And so in verse 10, the text says, So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, as, jo as Joseph revealed uh, these dreams to his daddy and his brothers, the text says that Jacob, he, he heard the dreams and Jacob didn't understand them, but he kept them in mind. Now, why is that? Well, you remember when Jacob was at Bethel, he, he had a, quite an experience himself. Jacob had, had encountered God. He had seen divine revelation. Isaac, Jacob's daddy, had seen it. And so they know the history and the story of God speaking to their family. And so when, when his son comes to him and says, Daddy, I'm having these, these strange dreams, Jacob didn't understand it, but the text said, but he held on to it. He knew there was something to it. But the Bible says his brothers envied him. They envied him. Now, this word envied here in the Hebrew, it's a, it's a sequential imperfect verb, meaning that this verb follows in the sequence of the story. It's building off of the verbs that preceded it. And it has an ongoing effect, meaning that they weren't just envious one time. This was a continual thing in their life. It was continual. They, they, they envied Joseph. What I want to point out to you here this morning is the second echo of envy. Envy left untreated turns to bitterness. Envy left untreated turns to bitterness. See, when we harbor that envy in our heart and we hold on to it, it's going to take root as bitterness. See, the text says they envied Joseph. It was a continual thing in their life. Their heart was plagued with envy. And when we do not handle envy when it first approaches our mind and our heart, it will take root just like a cavity, rotting down to the nerve of the tooth, it will rot down to, to our heart and corrupt us from the inside out. It'll take a person to a place that I call the barracks, barracks of bitterness. We know barracks is a place where we house soldiers. And I tell you, when you allow bitterness to remain within your heart, you, are, you, you become a soldier and a slave to bitterness. You live in the barracks of bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 tell us this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Notice this, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, not some, not a few, but many become become defiled see the author of hebrews warns us to beware of the root of bitterness because it defiles many many people and so we see here in the life of joseph's brothers this very thing the envy in their heart turned to bitterness verse 12 the uh, story continues and it says then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in shechem and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if the flock is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he sent him 
to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. So he said, I'm seeking. So, and the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. And notice what verse 18 says. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. So here Joseph is. His brothers go to Shechem, and, and right now from where, they were, where, from where they were living, this is about a, a five or six day journey by foot. So they're moving this flock, they're out working it, and then Jacob comes to Joseph, he says, hey, go check on your brothers. Go check on your brothers, bring back report to me, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. Right, and so Joseph does. He goes and he looks for him and he passes by and he says, hey, have you seen these men? They got about probably this many sheep. They're moving that way. He said, yeah, I see them. They said they were moving up towards Dothan. And the Bible says that as Joseph approached his brothers from afar off, the text says they seen him and they began to conspire against him. They began to conspire against him. And there's something I want to point out here. Up to this point, notice what Joseph's doing. Joseph's doing everything that he's supposed to be doing, but yet he is still facing trials and hardships, even from his own family. And I think we can look at Joseph and be encouraged that even when we're being faithful, we will still face trials and hardships. Joseph is trying to do what he's supposed to do, but yet even his own family's turning against him. And that's the thing, y'all. We begin to obey the Lord and, and, and follow him and do what he's called us to do. That doesn't mean that we're not gonna face trials and tribulations. My goodness, look at the life of Joseph. But what it does mean and what we learn from Joseph's story is that regardless of what's going on around us, regardless of how we're being treated, regardless of the trials and tribulations that we're facing, we're still called to be obedient and know that the Lord is with us every step of the way. But notice the text says that as, as Joseph began to approach his brothers, the Bible said that they began to conspire against him. They began to conspire against him. Now, this past Friday, I was hunting early in the morning with, with Daniel and Drew, uh, Mr. Andy, and uh, Hunter Pro, and we were, we were trying to shoot some dove. And we were out there early in the morning, and I was sitting there, and I'm not an expert sportsman by any stretch of the imagination, but I do love to hunt. I love to be out there any chance that I get. And as I was sitting there, Mr. Andy there back behind me, I turn around and he just gets up and he's just sprinting. He's just beelining back to the truck. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. When you're hunting and somebody just stands up and they start beelining in one direction, that can only mean a couple things. Either there's a fellow with green pants making his way towards you. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Or you've got to go you know, find a tree, pop a squat, you've got to use the bathroom, right? So I see him, and he's taking off. So I'm like, all right, something, I'm, I'm looking now. He comes back. So I'm like, okay. He, he's seen something. He comes up to me, he says, hey, look, turn around. And this, this deer had come right up behind us. He'd come out of the tree line. He was out in the field. I mean, literally right up behind us. And so he says, here you go. So I go up, get on a 
on an old hay bale and I'm sitting there and as I'm approaching this deer, me and him, we're both crouched down and we're just trying to be as quiet as possible. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this deer. Every step I take, I'm looking, I'm thinking, man, I'm finna tear this joker up. And I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm moving. And I get up there and I put, I think it was a 270. I put it up on, I put it up on that hay bale and I've got that deer right in my crosshairs and I'm conspiring against that, that deer. You know that as Joseph approached his brothers, the text says they were conspiring against him. They had Joseph in the crosshairs and they were looking at him and they said, when he gets here, we're gonna kill him. Now you think about that. One little seed of envy turned to murder. And that's the thing about sin, y'all. It's not something we can just ignore and act like it's not a disease. Sin is the, most, is the deadliest disease that the human race has ever faced. It's deadlier than cancer. It's deadlier than any disease and sickness you can possibly think of, and it spreads rapidly. Who would have thought that one little drop of envy in the heart of their brothers would, would lead them to murder? And that brings me to the third echo of envy this morning. Envy will corrupt the mind. Envy will corrupt your mind. It will corrupt mine if we allow it to sit there. It will alter the way that we think. It will affect the way that we think. And notice this, it'll cause us to start conspiring against one another. You get that seed of envy in your mind, that bitterness towards somebody in the congregation, guess what? In your mind, you're gonna start conspiring against them. How many of you have been going down the road arguing with somebody that ain't, in, ain't even in the car? I do it about once a week. I have arguments in my mind with people that ain't, ain't even, and that's the thing with bitterness and envy. When it takes root, we'll, we'll sit there and begin to conspire against that person. Man, if they said this, this is what I'd say to them. If they looked at me wrong, this is what I'd say. If he come through here and he just bumped me one way, this is exactly what I'd do. And we look at Joseph's brothers and we say, man, they're crazy. But we do the same thing. When we take that envy and that bitterness and it sits with us, we begin to conspire against the people around us. That's the thing. Envy will corrupt our mind. It will lead to a carnal mind. And notice this, James warns us in James chapter three, verse 16. He says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing is there. Where envy exists, every other thing will come behind it, every other sin. You know, I, one more illustration to make this point. I don't wanna move past this, but my granddaddy, uh, he, there was this one time in his life my daddy told me this story. He was my great-granddaddy. Um, one day he was sitting outside in the yard. He was working on some cars there and the neighbor called in on him and because my granddaddy had a bunch of cars behind his house he was working on and the neighbor called in on him and he thought that him and the neighbor were good friends. But see, the neighbor didn't like all those cars in his backyard. And so he called in on my granddaddy and my daddy come by to, to see my granddaddy the, the following day and he walked up to him and granddaddy was sitting out there by the lawnmower facing his neighbor's house. And daddy walked up to me and said, hey granddaddy, you know everything all right? And what you doing? He said, I've been sitting here all day. He said, why? He said, I've just been staring over there at what's his name. I've just been staring at his house. Just been, just been watching him all day. 
He wasn't even working on that lawnmower at all. He was just sitting there staring at that man's house. And my daddy said, everything all right? He said, I'm just waiting for him to do something I don't like. I'm just waiting for him to look at me wrong or something. Now, we might look at that and say, man, that's a little crazy, right? He just got upset about it. But that's the thing about envy is that it, it'll sit there in our mind. It'll make us conspire about that person. It'll consume our mind. It'll, consume, it'll rob us of peace and joy. And of course, my granddaddy got over it and he, he handled it. But that's the thing about envy. It will corrupt our mind. So in verse 19, the text says, Then they said to one another, that, that is the brothers, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some wild beast has devoured him and we shall see what will, come, what will become of his dreams. So as, as Joseph approaches, his brother said, hey, this is what we'll do. We'll grab him and we'll, we'll, we'll get him, we'll kill him, and then we'll throw him in this pit and then we'll go back and we'll tell daddy that some animals got him and that'll be it. Joseph will be out of the way and all of our problems will be solved. But in verse 21, the text says that uh, Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to their father. Now, Reuben heard the plan that his brothers had. Reuben said, no, let's not do this. Let's just throw him in this pit. And see, Reuben had a plan. Reuben was going to come back later and get Joseph out of the pit and take him back to his daddy. The reason for that was, remember what, Joseph, what Reuben did a couple chapters prior. See, Reuben was, in, he was on the hot seat. Reuben was already in trouble. And he was thinking, well, if I, if I save Joseph and take him back to daddy, that ought to gain me my favor back. And so Reuben attempts to deliver Joseph from being actually murdered. But what we see is that it, it, it ultimately didn't work. So we come to verse 23. So it come to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. So as Joseph approaches his brothers, they take him. And can you just imagine this? I mean, we're, we're reading an outline of what happened, but put yourself in the story. Imagine you're Joseph and you come up to your brothers just trying to check on them and do what you've been asked to do. And they, they, they grab you and they grab a hold of you. They strip you of your clothes and then they sling you down into a cistern for you to die. This is your family. And Genesis chapter 42 tells us that as Joseph was in that pit, he cried out to his brothers and they heard him not. And that brings me to the fourth echo of envy this morning. Envy will eventually manifest itself. Envy will eventually manifest itself. See, when we harbor that envy within us, you might think it's just going to stay. We might think it'll just stay within us, but eventually it's going to come out and affect the way that we act. And see, that envy and that bitterness in Joseph's brother's hearts, it eventually manifests itself. It came out in their actions. And here they are attacking their very brother. And Jesus said something about this in Matthew 15. Jesus talked about how, how the evil, the adulteries, the fornication, it comes from within the heart of man. And from the heart flows these things and eventually they will come out. 
Proverbs 27, four says, what is cruel and anger a torrent? Our wrath is cruel and anger a torrent. But who is able to stand before jealousy? Nobody. Eventually, it will manifest itself. And the text says, after they threw Joseph in there, they sat down to eat a meal. Now, between verse 24 and 25, can you imagine the screams that are resonating here? As Joseph's sitting in there, the text says that they sat down to eat a meal. And that's the thing about envy. It'll harden a person's heart. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Joseph said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Judah said, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brothers listened. So Judah, as they're sitting there eating, he sees these Ishmaelite traders coming by. Judah says, let's just get him out and sell him. We'll sell him to the Egyptians and we'll get a little money out of this. Why just kill him? Sell him to slavery, we can get some money. And so they pull Joseph out of the pit and you can imagine Joseph thinking, okay, my brothers, they've, they've come to their senses. They're not gonna leave me here to die. And then they take him and they, 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 they bound him up and they sell him as a slave. And could you imagine Joseph as he, as he was carried away watching his brothers go the other way, not having a clue what was fixing to happen? Verse 29, then Reuben returned to the pit and indeed Joseph was not, he was not there. And he tore his clothes and he returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more and I, where shall I go? See, Reuben was thinking, this is my chance to regain my favor and to, to, to make up for the mistakes that I made. But when he comes back, Joseph's gone and he says my goodness what are we going to tell daddy what are we going to tell him and so verse 31 this is what happens they begin to devise a tunic killed a kid of the goats and dipped the tunic in the blood then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said we have found this do you know whether it is your son's or not and he recognized it and said it is my son's tunic a wild beast has devoured him. Without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth on his waist, and he mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down to my grave. I will go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now, what I want to point out to you here is the fifth and final echo of envy this morning. Envy eventually evolves into more wickedness. Envy in the heart of man will eventually evolve into more sin. That bitterness, that envy that sits inside the heart and mind of a man, it will eventually evolve into more sin. See, look at this. Not only did they attempt to murder Joseph, not only did they hate him, not only did they conspire against him, not only did they steal from him, not only did they sell him into slavery, not only did they assault him, but now they're lying and manipulating their own daddy. They're watching their daddy cry and they're the ones sitting there mourning. They're, they're the ones sitting there trying to, to help him as he's sitting there crying and they're the ones that caused every single thing that's ha happening. That's the thing, envy 
it evolves into more sin. It, it, we will eventually act out on it. It will evolve into more sin. It will affect our relationships. It will corrupt our mind and it will turn to bitterness if we don't address it when it first hits our mind and our heart. It'll multiply, affect us in every way possible. And so I want to ask you this morning, can you see and almost hear the echoes of envy resonating through this text? And I want to ask you this morning, can you hear the echoes of envy in your own life, maybe in some way or another? When you look at Joseph's brothers and this envy that plagued their life, that was consuming them, that bitterness that took root in their heart, can you hear, can you see, can you see some of this in your own life maybe this morning? From hatred to murder to bitterness to lies to theft and deceit. And look at the end result of this envy. A family completely divided in every way, on every front, divided and broken, all because of a seed of envy. This morning, I, I want us to, to, to understand the danger of envy. It's something, it's one of those things that we oftentimes don't really think a lot of, but my goodness, the scripture warns us about it over and over and over again. All the way through history, we see envy causing some of the greatest schisms in the church. You could pick up any church history book on the market, and I guarantee you, you'll, you'll, you'll find this to be true. It will destroy relationships with friends and coworkers. It will decimate the unity within your family. And I can, I can think of that. I can, I can think of examples of that. Envy and bitterness dividing families, turning members against one another. It'll destroy a marriage in every way. Being envious, bitter, stick a wedge in between the marriage covenant. And I want, to, I want you to, to listen closely to this one. Envy will divide a church. Envy will divide a church. Here recently, I was reading First Clement. It was a letter written by Clement, who was one of the earliest church fathers. This letter was written, they believed, in the 90s A.D., and Clement wrote this letter. Clement was a bishop in Rome, and he wrote this letter to the church of Corinth some years after Paul wrote First and Second Corinthians. And in this letter, Clement, he starts off in the letter, it's a pretty long letter, but he starts off commending the church of Corinth. He said, man, y'all are doing a great job. Your gospel impact is, is, is spreading. You are being faithful. You're loving one another. You're full of unity. But then all of a sudden in the letter, it switches. And Clement begins to speak to the church in Corinth about the envy and jealousy that was dividing that church. From the earliest conception of the church of Christ, we see a battle there within the body of Christ. And, and, I, and I, when I read that, it made me think about it. It made me think about how important it is to address this issue of envy and jealousy for the health and the body of the church. Clement wrote warning them about this envy and, and jealousy, dividing and turning church members against one another. And so I want to encourage you in the same way this morning to let us guard our hearts this year. Because the enemy knows this. If he, can, if, he can, if he can plant a seed of envy 
bitterness in the heart of just one person in this congregation and turn that person against another person and then that person goes and spews venom out of their tongue to other people in the congregation and then there comes a schism and a division and now we're not unified and now our gospel impact is diminished because of one seed of envy. I used to ask my granddaddy, I, said, I asked him one time, I said, granddaddy, if you had to attack America and, and defeat America, how would you do it? I was just curious to what he would say. He said, well, you don't have to attack America from the outside if you wanted to defeat America. You just attack it from within. You just turn the people against each other and it'll collapse. It's just a matter of time. And the church has always faced battles from the outside externally. The enemy has launched many attacks from the beginning of, of the church's existence. That's clear as day. However, I firmly believe that the greatest battles we face as the church of Christ are not the ones that we face outside these walls, but the ones that we face within them. And I think a lot of times we are our own worst enemy. I think a lot of times we, 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 we can't effectively move the way that we ought to move because we at times lack Oneness, And I'm not just specifically speaking of us. I mean the church as a whole. At times, we, we, we're not as unified as we should be, and, and it hinders us. And a lot of times, that's because of envy in the heart of an individual. And so the question is, as we close this morning, I'm wrapping it up. I'm done. How do we, as the body of Christ, protect ourselves from envy? How do we protect ourselves from envy in our life, but also as a church? How do we guard ourselves from envy? Notice Joseph's brothers, they didn't stop and evaluate the situation. And notice this, Joseph's brothers, they weren't focused on the promises of God. They were not focused on the promises of God. They weren't focused on God's working. They weren't focused on God's plan. They weren't focused on God's mercy, his sovereignty, his power, his promises, the work that he was doing in his family. They weren't focused on these things. They were full of selfishness. So how does we as the people of God, how do we protect ourselves from envy? We unite around the promises of God. When we come in here, we unite around the promises of God. I tell you what, I learned this. The Lord really spoke to me at Brother Mac's funeral. When the Lord called Brother Mac home, we had the funeral here, and I was sitting right here, and Caleb was sitting right there. Brother Mike was here preaching. Miss Deborah was right there. Many of you were in here. And we were celebrating the life of, of our brother, Mac. And let me tell you something. In that moment, the Lord, the Lord taught me something. As we were sitting there, we were celebrating and worshiping the Lord. And notice this, everybody, everybody, we were united around the promises of God. I wasn't the center of, the, of attention. Caleb, nobody in here, Brother Mike, nobody was the center focus. The only focus in the room was the promises of God. We were celebrating and worshiping God because of the promises that he made to us and we were fully united together. And that's the thing about the church. We can guard ourselves from envy if we come in here united around the promises of God. If we come in here humbly seeking the mind of Christ, leaving ourselves at the door, coming in here with the purpose of equipping and edifying one another. 
If we come in here selflessly, we will give no room for envy to encroach in our church. And I learned that as I was sitting there, united with the church, celebrating God's promises at Brother Mac's funeral. And so I wanna encourage you this morning as we close, during the invitation, if there's a seed of envy or bitterness that has been plaguing you this morning, would you confess it to the Lord? I would hate for you to take something into the new year that you don't need to take with you. If there's a seed of bitterness, would you confess it to the Lord this morning? Can we not be like Joseph's brothers? Let's address envy when it approaches us. And this year, as we move forward, let's be united together as a church and give no place for the enemy to turn us against one another. If there's one in here who has never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I can tell you, Jesus is the cure for envy. Jesus is the cure for all of sin. God loves you and he sent Christ to come and and take your place on the cross. And I can tell you that you will struggle with sins that may have you in bondage for the rest of your life. But if you come to Jesus Christ today and you surrender your will and your life to him, I promise you if you begin to abide in him, he will give you the strength to overcome those things, deliver you and give you the salvation that you so desperately need. He calls all men everywhere to come and repent and trust in him as Lord. So if he is speaking to you today, would you come and make that decision this morning? And so church, as we close, I would ask you to think about this and ponder upon this and carry this with us as we go forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for, Lord, your word. God, we just pray, Father, that you would protect us as a church from envy. God, you would protect us as individuals from envy in our daily lives. God, it will turn us against one another. It will corrupt our minds. Lord, it will manifest itself. It will will evolve into more sin. Father, protect us, Lord. When the thoughts come, Lord, let us bring every thought captive to you. God, protect us as a church from envy. God, protect us. Let us be united around your promises, Lord God, I pray. Lord, let us be united together, selflessly seeking you, giving no place for envy and bitterness. God, we love you and we thank you. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.